doing this morning? Awesome, guys. Uh, my name is Michael Page. If you don't know me, if this is your first time here, if this is your second time here, you just forgot. My name's Michael. Um, and I'm, I'm the campus pastor here at this church, and I'm so glad that you're here. And if it's your first time here, uh, I just want to give you a special welcome. And I pray that you would feel like you're at home and that this is somewhere that you feel like God would lead you to be, uh, just to be a part of what God's doing in this body. And so if that's you this morning, welcome. And I would love to get a chance to know you a little bit after church. I'll um, be somewhere out there. Um, just grab me, introduce yourself, and let's talk a little bit and uh, introduce ourselves and kind of see what God's doing in your life. And I'd love to hear your story. Uh, best I can and be able to kind of plug you in somewhere. But um, before we get started today, we we do this constantly in our church before we um, have, uh, before we go into the sermon. But I, I just want to go into a time of prayer uh, to kind of center our hearts on the Lord and kind of where we're at um, to do some sort of uh, self-evaluation. Because I tell you right now, like a lot of us in here, um, we go 100 miles an hour. Anybody else with me? We go, we go a lot. Our schedules are full. Um, after this is over, you probably got lunch plans or either something else planned. After that, you got it planned out. Then you got something else planned out. And then you're going to bed, right? And then tomorrow, you're going to wake up and do the same thing. So I kind of want to get kind of centered on this on this this morning before we get going too far. And on top of that, um, you know, I don't I don't know where you sit on a lot of this uh, stuff with where you're at on your belief system, but um, I, I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe the, the enemy is is uh, is active is just as much as our God is active. And uh, right now we have a couple of people in our church that are going through some hardships. If, you, if, you're, on, if you're on Facebook, you had to have seen it. But um, it, uh, Lindsay Garrett and Stacy Wilson both are um, on our staff here at this church. And um, stay, uh, Lindsay and Blake had their baby a few nights ago, and there were some complications, and he's in the NICU at Memorial. Um, also, Stacy's father had some serious um, issues the la- uh, starting on Friday, and she um, is in Statesboro in the ICU with her dad. Um, and so that just tells me there's a lot of stuff going on in our body. Um, if there's anybody else in this room who has a similar situation, we'd love to pray with you, like right now. And so I just want to take some time and pray and kind of center our hearts and kind of be quiet and silent before the Lord. And if you guys need any prayer at all, please come up here. We have a prayer team that love to pray with you. Um, and, I, and I want to pray over those situations as well before we get started. So I, I just want to give us a few minutes uh, of, of just quiet prayer times, just kind of self-reflection. Um, this altar is open. Uh, your seats, your good altars as well. Um, just feel free to kind of get in whatever posture you want to before the Lord, and I'll come back and we'll pray together as a body. Father God, we love you, we praise you, God, because you're the sovereign, holy God of all things. God, we praise you for that you love us. We praise you for that you've made a way for us to get back to you, Father. Um, and so as, as we've sinned and fallen away, I pray right now, Father, right now as we as we come together as a body and we cry out for, for mercy and for help, God, and for healing over parts of our body, God, who are uh, who are struggling, God, who are going through uh, some 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 trials and some just having to endure some hard situations, Father. I, I pray for comfort. 
God, I pray for your word to come alive in their lives. God, I pray uh, for baby Hudson, Father, that you would just heal him, Father, that you would just progress his body, Father, to be um, where it needs to be at, God, that you would just um, give wisdom to the doctors and the nurses that are taking care of him this morning. And I pray for Blake and Lindsay, Father, as we uh, begin our service this morning. I pray, God, that you would just uh, be um, with them, that you, you would make your presence known in that room. And God, we've already heard reports about them uh, ministering to the hospital staff and ministering to the people that they're in uh, the, the NICU with, Father, that it's just such a blessing to see what you're doing in their life and through their life, even in the, even in the midst of them going through a struggle. And so I pray, I pray that you would just be glorified in all those ways. I pray for Stacy and her family. I pray, Lord, that you would just give the doctors some answers, give the family some answers, Father, give the family comfort and wisdom and understanding, God, to discern, God, what you're trying to do. God, and I pray that you would bind the hands of Satan in any way, God, that he tries to come against our body, against our families, God, that you would just protect us, you would guide us, you would lead us, Father, you would deliver us consistently as you've already done in the past. And I pray that, God, we would just point to you as our faithful Father who, who is our, our faithful healer, our faithful deliverer, God, and that you've... Uh, the, the, the greatest way that you've healed us is healed, our, healed us of our sins. And we're thankful for that, God. We praise you for that. Lord, we just um, ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning, guys, we're starting on our third week, obviously, of our current series called Framework. And so basically, if you're new here, this is the third week. You can go online or on our app, and you can check out the first uh, two weeks. Um, but basically, this series is going to be taking us through who we are as a church. Like, who are we? Who are we? I mean, if we're going to say, hey, I go to Connection Church, what does that mean? Who are you and why, what, what, where are you at in your walk with Jesus? What, what are we doing? Because our heart is that if you would call Connection Church home, if this is where you call home, these four cultures will be in increasingly evident in your life. Not just, oh, I, I give from time to time or I serve from time to time or I'm part of community when I feel like it or I evangelize whenever it's comfortable. No, we, 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 we feel like, it, according to Acts 2, if you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like, we're going to read that one more time. Acts 2, and it's these four cultures are becoming increasingly evident in the church. They're growing in these cultures. They're growing in community together. They're, they're seeing multiplications happen in, in these house churches. You're seeing, you're seeing um, them serving one another. You're seeing them being uh, generous to one another. They're selling one of the belongings and giving it to people who have need. That's weird in our culture, right? That's it's weird. And then evangelism, they're, they're sharing the love of Jesus that Jesus has put in their heart. They saw Christ, they, 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 they heard the gospel, they believed it, and they, they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and all they know to do is to give it away. And so that's the heart behind where we're at. And so we, we were very simple in this, and we're about to read this together as a body. But this is the, this is the, the, the template, I think, for a church. If we're going to look at what a church should look like, this is what it should look like, I feel like. So let's read this together. It's Acts 2. We're going to read through verse 42 to 47. This is what it says. There were 3,000 people that got saved, and this is kind of what they were talking about. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is after they got saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I look at this, and I'm looking at all, they had all things in common. They sold property and possessions to give to, one another, give to anyone who had need. 
They met together in the temple courts. It means they were worshiping together. They were, they, were, they were in the word together. They broke bread in their homes. They fellowshiped together. They were praying for one another. There was no, according to this passage, there was no vying for position. Like they were serving one another, pushing one another forward, denying self and, and, and pushing a brother or a sister forward to see where God was leading them to lead them to the place where God wanted them. Taking people from where they were to where God wanted them to be. And every week during this series, I want to give you a visual. And if I've talked to you, uh, can you come up here and find a seat somewhere? If I've, if I've spoken to you before service, there should be 10, I hope. If there's not 10, I'm a bad counter. I'm not good at math. So 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's good. We got 10. Everybody give me a hand. I'm just kidding. All right, so so this week we're looking at, um, you know, our, our generosity in our church. And I want to give you a visual of where we're at as a church when it comes to generosity so that we can either celebrate together or so that we can improve a little bit as a church, as a body, because what I believe that generosity is not the only culture, but it's an important culture, because what Lisa said in there, we believe if we have a church that's generous in their time, their treasure, and their talent, there'll be no limits to what we can do as a body. There'll be no people group too far. There'll be no person in our community that's out of reach, because we'll be able to do the things God's called us to do without worrying. And that's the heart behind it. So I told you over the last three weeks, uh, this year our, our attendance has been an average of about 159 people on Sundays. And so by, by kind of a visual, this is where we're at as a, as a body in our giving culture as far as um, uh, based on percentages. So the, the people that I asked to stand, could you stand? So right now, you can look at the percentages. Right now, we're at about 31% of our people who are actively coming are actively giving. I don't need to tell you that's unhealthy, right? That's unhealthy because we have 30% of the people doing 100% of the work when it comes to this. And that's not abnormal in the church because a lot of times there's a lot of mistrust in the church. There's a lot of mistrust in, in what, what's going to happen if I do this. Well, it's, about, it's, it's become more about us and, it has, and it's become more about me and you than it has been about us. We're a body. It's, 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 it's them, not me. It's us together, moving together, moving the ball forward. Okay, you guys can, you guys can go. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And so that's the heart behind the series we're doing because I wanted to show you where we're at. And 32% is a scary percent, right? And we are a church plant. Listen, we're a church plant. There's some room for growth. We're learning how to trust one another. That's fine. But what I know, and one of the vision and value statements that we're kind of putting into play during this series as well, is we believe as a church that someone who has experienced God's extravagant grace is automatically extravagantly generous. It, that's one of these things that doesn't change with time. It's more of those things where when you see how generous God was with his son, we're automatically generous with our resources, our time, our talents. And if we're not, then there's a heart problem. And we're going to read, we're going to talk about a little bit about that today because this week we're going to be digging into Scripture. We're going to look at what Scripture instructs us on when it comes to generosity. Because I'll tell you, this is one of those topics when it comes to giving or generosity that people usually tune out. Or if it's your first time here, you know, I came during the giving sermon. You know, that, that's not how we do things around here, okay? That's not our heart in this sermon. Because let me tell you, I firmly believe with all of my heart that this book, Scripture, is the perfect revelation of God to man. And I believe that if we cannot take out parts of it that we don't like in attempts 
to make Scripture fit the things that make us comfortable. And it's important that we understand that every time we open this book, there is an opportunity for God to radically change our hearts and our lives in, a, in amazing ways. You, come, you may have come in here this morning and you have a really hard heart. Or you may need to forgive somebody that you forgot about. Or you, or you have an, a marriage issue. Or you have a financial issue. You're, you're in a place where you don't see God at all. He's so far away. But I'm going to tell you today, he's not. And this book will teach us things we need to know to, to experience God in a way that you could not even imagine. And so this week, we're going to be, one of our main texts is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is instructing the church in giving and how it applies to the gospel's influence in your life. Because if you say, hey, Michael, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and it, I'm not just talking about on Facebook, I'm talking about in real life, that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. People know me for my life in following Jesus. People come to me for prayer. People know that I'm a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit's in my life. It's more than just a religious view on Facebook, right? So that, that's where we're at. If, you, if you're saying that, then what, what that means is the gospel has had an effect in your life in a way that it's changed who you are. You're born again. There's a newness in your life. And if that's true, we're going to talk about what it means to be a giver, to be a cheerful giver when it comes to Scripture. Because what this passage is going to show us is how God wants us to be not just givers, but cheerful givers. So that we can see the mission of God move forward. Because if you're a believer in here, your heart should be the mission of God to be moved forward, to move forward, to move forward. And I want to tell you, I think we all have been around, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like I think we've all been around people who are selfless, who are kind, and who are generous without even thinking about it, right? Gener they, sure, 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 sure. I mean, man, what, what do you need? I'll, I'll give it. What do you need? And you probably thought to yourselves, man, I, I want to be like that, right? Anybody? Yeah. You find people that, I want to be like that guy or that woman because, man, they're, they're so nice and generous. They love people. I want to be like that. But it never gets much past that, I want to be like that, because it starts kind of requiring some things of us to give up some of the control. And I want to tell you this morning, this, this passage in 2 Corinthians 9 is going to show us how to do that how to do that. And it's going to take us being obedient to Scripture. But before we start, I wanted to address the, the elephant in the room before we get started in this, because I realize whenever we talk about generosity or money in church, people get a little bit nervous. It's kind of like the birds and the bees talk, right? Or the, the talk, the, It's kind of like sex ed, and, and when you're in school, it's kind of like, whoa, it's kind of weird. But because the reason, the reason why is because people feel like this discussion is going to lead to a guilt trip where the church tries to get their money, right? And that shows me our hearts and our maturity level, if we're in that mindset, is wrong. Like, I want to remove that fear if I can, because I want to start this sermon this morning, this talk, this conversation that we're going to have, is I want to always start from the assumption that God doesn't have needs. God does not have any needs. Uh, he uses our gifts as means to, to work in our lives and to work in our community and to work in the world, but he has no needs. He, 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 can do, he can do something with nothing. He can create it out of thin air. He does not need anything, but he deserves our first and our best as our Father. He deserves our first and our best, and he calls us to, to use our resources for the world like Jesus used his resource for us. Listen to that. Jesus used his greatest resource to, to save us. That's generous. He was, he was radically generous in that moment. 
I'm thankful for that. Are y'all, are y'all thankful for that? Because I'm, I'm very thankful for that moment that, that he decided to come save my life from, from sin and death. But that's different than saying that Jesus has needs or God has needs. Because this is more of an, of an issue of spiritual maturity and discipleship and your growth and your faith than it is about fundraising for a church. And now we need to see that this is more about, you know, how you and how I, we, how we respond to the gospel. Man, do we understand the gospel? And if you get, and I'll tell you this, if you can't get over me talking about money, if you can't get any, over any pastor talking about money like we're trying to get in your pockets, my heart for you is I love you so much, but I, I, would, I would rather you go to another church where you trust somebody and you're able to practice this, this discipline of giving and generosity, and that you would trust those people, that you would do those things, because I would rather you learn to be generous somewhere else than to sit here and let a bad experience or suspicion of me keep you from being obedient in this topic. It's that important because my greatest desire is to see you, to see us, to see this body and everybody who calls Connection Church home to grow in discipleship, to be an authentic disciple of Jesus where we're growing and we're making disciples who are making disciples and we're planting churches that are planting churches and we're sending missionaries who are raising up missionaries. Because that's the heart behind the gospel. And this is what I'm excited about because our church is going to be a group of people who are very committed to the mission of God. When I read this Bible, and we're going to read it as a body and we're going to go together. And when it says something, we're going to be like, oh, it says this. Okay, let's go do this. That's how it needs to be done. We don't need to read this book as a book of suggestions. It has to be a book of commands that we follow gladly. We refuse to be a stagnant church. If we're going to come and sit and stale, you're wasting your time. You could be eating a buffet right now just going and hanging out somewhere else because this is a waste of time. We have to put our, our feet in the ground and say, no, we're not going to be a stagnant church. And that's why I always say, if you're looking for a place to come and sit and just kind of get, 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 this is probably the wrong church for you. It's kind of harsh, but it is. It's truth. Because our heart is that we would see the body grow up into maturity and be unified around the gospel to see the kingdom come as Jesus talked about in Scripture. And we hope that you'll join in this investment that we're trying to make in bringing hope and influence and life into the city, into the nations who need the gospel. And I'm not satisfied with just coming into Garden City or to Savannah and just planting another church. I'm not satisfied with just being another church on the side of the road where people walk by, oh, there's another church in the storefront. Look at there. It's Savannah, right? How many churches do we see? Tons. I'm not satisfied with that. We have to be, we have to rise above that. I, I could, that's another sermon series. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 6 through 7. We're going to read verse by verse, line by line through a few scriptures here, okay, through in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 9. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen, but I would love for, to see you guys bring the word of God to church because it will cut down on distractions. It will allow you to see what the word says. All right, here we go. Verse 6. Um, all the way to 9. It says, remember this. Just a little sign note on how to read your Bible. Anytime it says, remember this, remember, okay? All right. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. The, the, the definition of compulsion here is to being forced to do something that you that you, that you don't really want to do. Reluctance is having an unwilling or hesitant heart. So don't be on any side of that. You want to be right in the middle of there so you can be obedient in what God is calling you to do. And God is, God is able to bless you abundantly. Well, wow. So that all things, 
so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, if God loves a cheerful giver, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at uh, you know, this, this scripture here on verse 7, if God loves a cheerful giver, then I understand. I have to read that and understand that that's what he is trying to produce in us. In our sanctification process, he's trying to create in you a cheerful heart that gives, that's generous, that gives away, and your, your heart's not attached to anything material in this world. If God says, hey, sell your car, give the proceeds to this person, you'd say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. Because that's what Scripture is giving us in our heart. That's why we have to be connected to the Holy Spirit in this moment. He's saying we shouldn't be people, as I'm reading this, he's saying we shouldn't be people who become generous just after you hear a sermon on generosity. Just after you hear Michael talk about, hey, uh, we're going to talk about generosity this week. We're doing our yearly framework series and talking about generosity. Well, the next two weeks I'm going to give. I'm going to give, and then three weeks later, I really want to go to Disney World, so I really want to save up for that boat, so I can't really give this week. This ain't working out this week, you know. It's not, you know, we we don't want to see a body giving and being generous in response to a sermon. Our heart is for our generosity to live out from a lifetime in response to the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and it would change our entire lives. That our generosity would be a response to what God has already done. And again, when Paul starts his conversation about generosity, he doesn't start with God having a need, right? It didn't start with like God, he, you know, he, we, we have to have, we need to give this to God because God needs this stuff. To be able to do what God wants to do, he needs my money. Wrong answer. But with a blessing that God wants to pour out, he doesn't start with a need, he starts with a blessing that God wants to do in our life, which is awesome because God is never short on resources. Listen, if you're in a situation where you don't see a way out, God's not, God is not a God who's short on resources. He can take something out of nothing and make something beautiful. And one of my favorite stories, I'll tell you, um, have you ever heard the story where Peter was, was, was questioning Jesus about a tax and we got to pay this, got to pay that? What did Jesus tell him to do? Go fishing. What? Go fishing? He goes fishing, grabs a, has, grabs a coin out of the fish's mouth. That tells me that God is not short on resources. If you need something, that's not, out of the, that's not off the table, okay? The, the being a, a coin in a fish's mouth, okay? Go fishing. No, no, no. Okay. Anyway. All right. So listen. That's amazing. That is what it's about. This this forever changes the mentality of God having financial needs for his ministry. Listen, God, he can fulfill anything he desires from nothing. God doesn't need our money, but the generosity of his people is the means by which he carries out his mission on this earth. It's the means that he uses, our generosity, our hearts. Look, um, there's a story of the five loaves and two fishes. Y'all remember this story from Bible school with the, the, you know, the flannel charts or whatever you had with the people? Listen, God didn't need five loaves and two fishes, right? He, he didn't need, I got to go find me five loaves and two fishes. Go bring me these things because I need this. Listen, God didn't need that. He didn't need those things. What, what if he had only one fish and two loaves? Same outcome. Same outcome, same outcome, same thing. He could have done the same thing with absolutely nothing. And he didn't need it, but he multiplied it because it was offered to him in surrender and faith. It was offered to God in surrender and in faith. And that's why we say that generosity in here, we talk about it in heart and soul a lot. That's why we say generosity is an issue of the heart. 
Our generosity, nothing reveals our heart like our money. Nothing reveals our heart like what we do with our finances in our lives. And it has nothing to do with the amount of money that you give or the time that you give or the talents you give. It has everything to do that you start to understand that God possesses all of it. And as you put all of it in his hands and you begin to be obedient to his leading and you, you hold things loosely. And you allow God to do what he wants to do with the things in your life. Because our goal as a church, at Connection Church, is that 100% of the people would be cheerful givers. That people would see us as, as generous people that love the, the community and are giving of our time, our treasure, our talent to see his name lifted high. From the youngest to the oldest to the richest to the poorest to the, the most spiritually mature to the brand new Christian. Because there's a story in the Bible where this poor widow comes and, and to, the, to give her offering and all these Pharisees and all these, these religious leaders are pouring in money, money. Look at this money I got. They weren't pouring it out of sacrifice. There was an overflow of things they had. This poor widow comes and gives everything she has two copper mites, which comes up to be about a quarter of one cent in our culture today. And Jesus pointed to her and said, she gave the most. That's the heart behind it, is to see that it doesn't matter. What we, what, it matters our, is our, what our heart is giving to the Lord. We don't want to do this that we're tr- because we're trying to meet some financial goal for the church. We, we, because, but because people in this room and these seats have caught the vision that God has given our church and are, are becoming true disciples of Jesus who are investing in what God is doing in this body, in this church, in this building, in the building outside of here, and they're building the kingdom faithfully because it's not just Michael's vision, it's not just the staff's vision, it's not just the connector's vision, it's the vision that you're, you're having because it's something that you've caught on to and you've seen God move and you're like, yes, Lord, I'm not just going to be a follower now, I'm going to be a participator in what you're doing. That's what it means to follow Jesus in this. Because we believe that generosity and we believe money is the greatest indicator of our heart. We believe someone who's experienced God's extravagant grace is extravagantly generous with his time, with their talents, and with their treasure. But for so long, this is not how the church has taught about generosity. The church has been terrible about teaching about money. Horrible. It's been taught to meet the budget. We gotta meet this budget, guys. Y'all better give some of that money. They come off your wallets a little bit. Y'all want to keep the lights on, you know. That, listen, that's what that's the way it's been taught. It hasn't been taught about spreading the gospel. That's the that's the paradigm shift that we're trying to do here. We're trying to see that we're trying to see that the, the gospel needs to reach some of the darkest places on the earth, and we are the ones that are gonna send it there. And we are the ones that are going to fund it to get there. We are the ones that are going to fund the building of other campuses around the world. We're going to be the ones that send uh, missionaries and church planners. We are the ones that are going to send those people. We're not looking for grants from the government. We're not doing all this stuff because we believe that the Great Commission can be fulfilled with the people that are already in the church. I, I believe that. And it's time for us to get real. Because the real reason some people have a hard time when it comes to giving in the church is because those people aren't really invested in the work of the church. And it's easy not to trust something that you have no investment in. And I want to tell you, I want you to see this. Look in verse 8. Look in verse 8. It says this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times. Circle all things, all times. There, there's no, that, that covers everything. Having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. 
This is where it says every good work. It means we're taking next steps. We're looking out into our community. We're making disciples. We're evangelizing. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're raising those people up and sending them back out. And he's talking about the whole body here. Not just, not just me, not just you or you. The, the body working together. And this is where the mentality comes in in our giving where it, it's not them, it's us. It's not them anymore. I go to this church and they talk about giving. It's us and it's we because we're a family. And if you don't feel that way in this room, please come talk to me. Let's work that out. Because my heart is that every person in this church would get connected somehow where they would feel that close family connection. We're able to walk together side by side and seeing the gospel spread to the nations. That's the heart behind what we're doing. So many people, this is, what I, this is what I've learned, is that so many people see giving as something like this. I'll give to the church so that the staff can carry out the good works. I'll give to the church to see the ministries of the church built up so the pastor can kind of get all the stuff prepared, and then when I come, it can all be ready for me. And, but when, when that happens, who is the center point? You and us and not God. It's in time for us to understand, and that we, there is a disclaimer in this. There are people, and there have been people in our world, in our nation, who have abused people, and who have taken advantage of people, and have manipulated people, and have hurt people. And I want to tell you, those people are false prophets. There's no such thing as the prosperity gospel. I want to get that off, off of your head. Okay, that is false. That's a false gospel, not a, not a, okay, another sermon, sorry. The Bible warns us about these people. He warns us about them. Listen, but obedience and generosity, obedience and generosity, as I look at in Scripture, is the means by which God multiplies grace in our lives. He multiplies grace in our lives. Well, why does he do that? It says it right there in verse 8. Having all that we need at all times and all ways, we're able to be able to abound the good works. So he, he blesses me. He blesses you so that what? I can do what? Serve him more. Serve him better, to give more to the people around me, to love people to, so that they can see the love of Christ through my life. And that's what we have to see is, is, is how we abound in every good work in the gospel. And that's why whenever, you know, whenever the, we had the missionary come and speak a few weeks ago, and whenever we're talking about these mission classes and these different Bible studies, our heart is to be an outreaching church. And most of us think generosity, and this is, where, this is how I grew up, most of us think that generosity is something that God wants from us. And, but I don't see that being the way Scripture portrays it. I don't see God saying, give me your money, and that's, give me your time, give me your trust. That's not a loving God. My God loves me. Your God loves you, whether you've been taught that or not. But I want to tell you that God doesn't want something from you. Paul is saying it's something he wants for us. He wants something for us. And so often, we're more worried about what we will have to give up, but Paul's talking in terms of what God wants us to gain. Do you, you see what I'm saying on that? That's, that's a whole different mindset. And if you're coming in here today and you're like tight fisting your money and you're, I can't do it because it's mine, I work for it, you, you don't, you're lost in your thinking. Is none of it's yours. All of it's God's. We have to understand that most of us think and because because we've been taught to be abused, it's, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to bless you in the, the giving that he's, he's requiring of his church. And so often, 
We're more worried about what we're going to have to give up instead of what Paul's saying that God wants us to gain. So what that tells me is that this is more of a trust problem than anything else. Trusting God with our money. Trusting God. This wire is about to kill me. I'm going to tell you right now. Sorry. Okay, we're good. All right. So God's wanting something for us in that. And so let's look in 2 Corinthians again. Let's go to verse 10 and 11. Let's read those together. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and you will, en- and you- and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in how many ways? Every way. So that, well, why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Every occasion. <laughs> That's what Every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So every occasion, we're able to be generous. Verse 11 is a promise. Verse 11 is a promise. It's saying, as you give, you will be blessed more and more. Who likes that? I like that. As you give, you'll be blessed more and more and more. Why? Because God wants to use you more and more. He gives you heart because your heart is beginning to change. Your heart is beginning to move into the direction of where God wants you to be. Because the reason that he's blessing us more and more as we give is so that you can be generous on every occasion. He wants to know that his children will be obedient in the moment that he tries to bless other people. Because he wants to use you to bless the people around you. And he wants to know that you will say yes when he tries to bless this person through you. Are you a faithful steward of God's time, money, and talents in your life? Are you? And if you're not, then why not? Because as a church, this is our heart, that, that we would be able to reach out into this community, into the world, into the, the places where our connect groups are at, and that we would be able to make a difference in people's lives. If we're not able to make a difference in people's lives, then what are we doing here? What's the point of us coming and meeting together? To hear some of the word? Well, you can do this by yourself. You don't need me for that. We're here to encourage one another and be sent out and to, and to affect people's lives. I don't want to make a small difference. I want us to make a radically huge difference in people's lives. I want people, whenever they come in contact with people from our church, whenever we're doing ministries in this world, no matter where it's at, they walk away like, God is amazing. Because they see him and not us. They see the greatness of God and not us. Because whenever we're trying to bless people, we might bless them, but it'll still be meager in sight of God, Right? I want them to see this was supernatural. This was not human made. This was God doing something through his people. Acts 1.8 talks about Jesus putting his spirit inside of us so that we would be his witnesses throughout the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Some of the things that, that we're going to do here at this church, uh, and this is kind of how we look at our, our missions pipeline that we're trying to form and different things in our church. We have Jerusalem, you have Judea, and then you have to the ends of the earth. Um, so, so Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, is local outreaches. We have, we, sorry, it's so awkward, I know. Um, so Jerusalem is, is, our, is our city. It's the people that you see outside these doors all the time. It's the people that you see when you go to Walmart or, or to Chick-fil-A or, or to McDonald's, not go to McDonald's, or you go to these places and you, kinda, and all the, you have all this stuff. And so you see these people, and what I know is that 52% of Chatham County doesn't go to church. 52 percent of Chatham County has probably been hurt by the church, probably been run over or railroaded by the church. They don't attend the church anymore. 
And this is, this is a year-old stat, but, but my question is, why don't they? Have they not been reached out to? Have they not been loved on? We want to do that. We, we want to change that. Some of the other things that we're looking at is, is our Connection Kids Ministries. We want to expand those rooms for those kids because right now they're packed in there like sardines, man. They're in there. They're, they, we want to give them the best opportunity to hear the gospel as we can. Because what I'm going to tell you right now, our kids' programs and our, our mission, ministries right there for our kids are not a babysitting ministry. We're teaching your kids scripture. We're, 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 they're memorizing scripture, those types of things. Our heart is also, right now we have a heart for special needs. We would like to build a special needs area in our kids' rooms, our kids' areas, to be able to reach a, a different, different types of, of needs in children that need to be met so that they can be loved on and shared the love of Jesus with just like everybody else in this room. Our student ministry, man, we need space. We, our student ministry is playing back there with some, I don't know what it is. It might be some rats, but I don't know. But it's in the, it's in the back. They're playing back there in the back. I don't know what. Listen, they love it. They love our, our youth leaders and things, but they need their own space. They need their own space to be able to be taught and to raised up and to be sent out. Some of our partners, um, we're, we're, we have some ministry partners in town, like the Living Vine. Uh, we, meet, we, we, we minister out at Chatham Apartments. Um, uh, Eric and I just met with the Dream Campaign, trying to hook up with them. Um, we're looking at, look, at, look around you. Last year when we did this sermon, this series, uh, we, didn't have a, we didn't have a facility to meet in. This is a result of your generosity. It's awesome. God is moving in the hearts of our people, but 32% is still an unhealthy number. Our Judea, our heart is to plant churches that plant churches. We want to see people leave this place with the call to, to be a pastor and to go plant churches in other cities around our nation and around our area. We want to train up and send out pastors. We want to be able to be a ascending church. We have partnerships throughout this nation. Our Samaria is, is local, local missions, local uh, in the United States to see us to go out to the, some of these inner cities or some of these other areas that are rural to be able to, to raise up struggling churches or struggling pastors or whatever they're, wherever there's need, wherever God's leading. And then to the ends of the earth, 42% of the people have never heard the gospel. And it's through our generosity that's going to get us there. It's through our generosity that's going to get us there to train and send missionaries and plant foreign church plants as we train these, train these pastors. Um, there's, there's, there's something in the works right now. I know I talk a lot, but I don't show you a lot of, 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 of meat sometimes with this. But we've been praying that God will send us to the unreached. We've been praying, 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 praying. But get, well, now God's, it's what he does. He, above and beyond anything we can imagine, he's given us options. We have, we have three or four options right now to go to places that do not have the gospel. And we're currently in the process right now of, I've, I've talked to somebody from Sri Lanka in the last two weeks. I've talked to somebody from Thailand. You saw, you, you met him a couple weeks ago. There's places in, in the edge of Syria and Israel where there's people in the mountains who have been tore apart by, by ISIS and there's people that don't know the gospel, have never heard it, never had a Bible, never have a Christian friend. And they need Jesus. And there's two or three other options that we're trying to pray through, that we're going to go and do a vision trip and just walk around and say, God, is this where you want us? Is this where you want us? Is this where you want us? Because we want to be where you want us and we want to be most effective in those places. That's what our generosity is going to. And as we become cheerful givers for the kingdom, and as we invest in this house, 
We are investing in the work that God is trying to do around us in our communities. And as we, anywhere we're planted, anywhere the connection name or any other name that the pastor just chooses to use in other cities, we want the standards and the cultures of that, this church to be given to those people so that we can see and have confidence that we are planting healthy churches that are scripturally based so that we know that the gospel is being preached right and well and it's not some watered-down gospel. We believe giving and generosity equals big picture investment. I, I believe that giving and generosity equals big picture investment. Our vision isn't limited to next week. Isn't limited to, oh, I'm serving next week. Oh, no, it's, 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 it, we've seen where God wants us to go. We're seeing where he is leading us. We don't know the end result yet, but we see our next step. And as a body, we're moving in that direction with our time and our treasure and our talent. And right now, our culture and generosity, we told you a minute ago, is not healthy. It's not healthy at 32% of our regular attenders investing in the work that Connection Church as a body is trying to do. That means 32% of our people are giving to support 100% of the work being done. And I want to tell you right now, that 32% is heavy on those 32% of people. It's heavy because they are the ones that are, that are pushing things forward. And I don't know who they are, and I don't want to know who they are, but I do know that that's heavy on those people. It's heavy on our body. And I want us to cling to the promises that we see in, in verse 11. As we look, it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And a couple of things that I look at in this is, is verse 11. First of all, what does is, what is in every way mean? Does that mean financially? Yeah, it means financially because um, every, every way is pretty, you know, all-inclusive. As in, if I get, God will increase you financially. Yes, that, that's included. It, it's a promise repeated throughout Scripture. Look in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Because money is a seed, guys. Money is a seed that we sow, that we sow and we see grow, and it grows into things that, that didn't look like the initial um, investment. Number one, one of those two things I want to point out, the first thing is um, whenever we sow, whenever we give generously, um, we have an increased love for the kingdom of God. We have an increased love for the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis said, wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Wealth has a way of knitting this man's heart a man's heart to this world. And that's a terrible, terrible curse as, you, as you're sitting in here knitted to the world. And giving is the way that God uses to, 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 to create a greater love for the kingdom in our hearts. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure Jesus? Is your treasure his kingdom? Or is your treasure you and your life? and your wealth, and your success. So you have to ask yourselves this question because what happens is putting your treasure in places, in a place will actually make you begin to love that place more. Your, your heart will follow your treasure. If you don't believe me, ask a parent who has a kid in college. Right? You'll see that person wearing a Georgia t-shirt real quick or a, a Florida t-shirt or a Georgia Tech t-shirt or a Georgia Southern t-shirt. Right? Yes? <laughs> yeah. Your, your, where your money goes, man, I love Georgia Southern now. I didn't a year ago, but now I love it. 
my place, right? And so where you put your money at, there your heart is going to go. So if you, if you want to love heaven more, if you want to love the gospel more, give sacrificially to the kingdom and watch how it transforms your heart. The second thing it does, it makes you more loving towards people. It makes you more loving towards people, God, and his mission. Giving will make you love people more. It will make you love God more, and it will make you love his mission more. Because what happens is stinginess and greed and all that stuff, it sinks, it shrinks your heart. It shrinks your heart. It, it breeds isolation. But what giving does is it opens you up. And an open heart is a much happier heart. You, you, begin to be, to, you begin being like the little boy who had the five loaves and the two fishes. And the story is that after, after it was all said and done, how many baskets did they take up? Twelve full baskets of food that were overflowing over the top. I mean, it was an abundant blessing. So what did they do with all those things? It doesn't really say, but you can't tell me that little boy didn't have at least one or two of those baskets going home with him. And can you imagine him walking into his house like, Mom, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I, was I took my little Power Ranger lunchbox and I had some loaves and fishes in it, but now I got food for two weeks. <laughs> you know, that's what God does with our obedience. He, he, he multiplies it. I can't, it's, 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 what I, it's amazing. And the second thing from verse 11 that I see, if you look back at verse 11, according to that verse, why does God increase you financially? It says you will be, in, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So I, I heard a pastor one time say that God doesn't increase your income just so you can increase your standard of living. He's, he increases your income so that you, you can in turn in, increase your standard of giving. And when I heard that, I was like, golly, that's so convicting. Jesus or God doesn't increase our standard of living so that we can increase, uh, increase our income so we can increase our standard of living. He increases our income and our resources so that we can increase our standard of giving. That's the heart that God has for his church. God doesn't have these ulterior motives where he's like, I'm going to give you more, and now you got to go give over here. Give. There, there, listen, there are two ways that you can look at this. There are two ways that you can look at your money, your checkbook, your resources that reveal a lot about your maturity in the church and in the body. One way is this. My life belongs to me. I work for what I have. I'm the one who works the hours and gets the money. I, but I'm a Christian, so I should give to God. How much do I have to give? 10%. Okay, here it is. Here's my 10%, God. That's what we call a tax. That's not a tithe or an offering. That's a tax that you're giving to God so that he will, that he will accept you in your mind. That's very immature, and what happens is it shows that you have barely, barely begun to understand the process of discipleship and your growth in the gospel. It means, and that's not me, that's not an insult, it's a, it's a challenge for growth. If that's you in here and you're like, what'd you say, bro? Like, listen, I'm trying to, I'm, my heart is to challenge you in this, that we can grow together in this. Because the mature Christian will come before God and he will say, it all belongs to you. My house, every cent I have, my family, my life, my next breath, it all belongs to you. I'm not the owner of anything in this world. It's yours and I'm just the steward of what you've given me. That's the heart. My, my gifts, my talents, my time, my money, where, where the money goes, who I give my time to, it's given for your kingdom. And the heart we had to see in this is that we had to understand, are you a steward in your mind or are you an owner? 
Who makes the decisions of where your money, your time, your treasures, your family? Who makes those decisions? Is it based on what God wants or is it based on what you assume that God wants because you're really, you're not following God, you're following yourself, but you're putting God on, on a, as a label on your life and you're saying it must be God because I feel good about it. It's important to understand is that it, we have to be led by God in this and be good stewards of what he's given us because a lot of, of aspects of our spiritual maturity are going to occur gradually over time. But I've already said this, but this is one that happens almost immediately. You suddenly realize that you're not the owner of anything. And God comes in your life. Your time, your treasure, your talent are no longer yours. It's a realization that you're like, then you become a steward. God, this is going to be hard. My flesh is still there, Lord, but I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. And that's why last year whenever we did our Above and Beyond campaign, we, we, we had people come and give, and they prayed at the altar. They were putting their hands on their checks or money. God, use this for your kingdom. Use this to see the, the mission push forward. A lot of aspects of it is, is about spiritual maturity. And the key to us in this is our, our sacrificial giving our, and, and our radical kingdom living that we talked about all the time is that you would realize that this world is not your home. If you're living your life like this world is it, that this world is your home, and when you die, it's just going to have whatever, and I'm not paying attention to eternity, you're not going to get this concept of sacrificial giving, of generosity, or of kingdom living. You're going to waste it on the things of the earth that, that the Lord talks against. And here's how, here's how you know that you've crossed that, that uh, threshold of generosity. You'll stop asking, how much do I have to give? And you'll start asking, you'll, you'll, you'll change that and start asking, how much can I give? How much can I give to you, Lord? And let me say right now something very serious that every single one of you in this room is in the richest 2% of the entire world. I don't care in here if you are a doctor, lawyer, or whatever, or if you are, are you're jobless. You're in the richest 2% of the entire world. And if you claim that I'm, you're, I'm a Christ follower, Michael, I'm, I'm, I follow Jesus, with that prosperity comes the responsibility to use it for his kingdom. And when, we, when, his, when he blesses you throughout your life, he does it so that you can multiply it for his kingdom. Is, is that what you're doing with the blessings that God has given you? Are you trying to give it to him so that he can multiply it for his kingdom? Well, you may say, well, I'm not really that rich. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have enough to give, you know. I don't do much. Well, let me ask you this. Based on what you're doing with what God has given you so far, if you were God, would you give yourself more money? It's a hard question. I mean, that's a gut punch for me. My wife will tell you, I struggle in this aspect. I, 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 you know, it's, it's not, I'm not the saver in the relationship, I can promise you. But, but let me tell you, Paul shows us that when we don't live this way, it actually has a negative effect on us. And you can look in um, 2 Corinthians 8. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it real quick. It's, it's 8, it, it says, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And what this and it's kind of confusing, right? It's like what? And so, you look at this, and you look back in Exodus 16. This is actually in reference to the story about manna. The children of Israel were in this place where they couldn't provide food for themselves. So every night, God would miraculously rain down this stuff called manna from heaven. If you look in the Hebrew, it literally means what the heck is it? What is it? What is this stuff? So, it literally means that. So, it's funny. So one of the rules, though, is they could not take more than their family needed for one day. 
And so if you're struggling in your life, anybody else in here struggle besides me? If you're struggling in your life and you see all this food falling from heaven, my reaction is get the bags, get the suitcases. We're going to go get as much as we can and put in these bags and take it home. We're going to make sure we have enough. But it was a symbol because what happens when we hoard or when you hoard the excess or when you are what God has given you, what it does, it rots us spiritually. It rots us because there's nothing wrong with saving for the future. Hear that. That would be dumb for me to preach about. There's nothing wrong with saving for the future. But there comes a time and a point in which that is what you trust in most. And that is what we call in the church an idol. And idols rot our souls. And how do you even know that you've gotten to this point? But while I ask you this, this is big for the American church. The way that you know that you've gotten to this point where you're worshiping your savings and your money more than you are God is when, when you save extravagantly, but you don't give extravagantly. Or when you save more extravagantly than you give. And, and when you save more extravagantly than you give, it shows that your trust is in your savings more than it's your trust in God. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with buying nice things. I like nice things. You like nice things. But there comes a point at which those things are not what, what you most delight in, what you most find your identity in, and that rots your soul. How do you know that you've, you've come to this point? Well, you spend more extravagantly than you give. You spend more extravagantly, but you don't give extravagantly. Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus talks about money in this way. He says, you cannot love God and money. Give generosity the greatest part of your life, your first and your best. It's not what you don't, if, if it's not that you don't also have room in your life to, for those things like giving or saving or, or buying nice things. But my question is, does God get your first and your best in your life? Does God get the first and the best of your life? Because everybody in this room gives their first and their best to something, right? You give your first and your best to something. Where does your first and best go? Ask yourself. I'm, I don't know. Ask yourself. But Jesus talks about, in Matthew 6 also, like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worries of his own, of his own. But what he's saying is tomorrow is going to have enough troubles of its own. But don't worry because tomorrow is also going to have a Savior of its own. Jesus is going to be there in the times of trouble. Jesus, the, Jesus is the manna. Jesus is the man that will be there tomorrow, and he will be enough for tomorrow. And the understanding of this generosity concept is how you become a more cheerful giver. There's, there's, there's so many, um, if you look in verse 13 through 15, it says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and and with everyone else. And in their prayers, you, for you and their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so what this is saying is because of your generosity, people are going to praise God because of what you've been obedient in. Right? You see that? And so this, this is how we understand this because one of the ways you become a cheerful giver, a joyful giver, is that you see the thanksgiving to God that other people give him that it produces in them as we give and are obedient to God. I have some pictures. Check this out. I think I have, do I have some pictures. Okay, I have some pictures. Here's a couple ways. Here's one of the gentlemen you guys bought a book bag for for school. 
This guy gets to go to school and not get made fun of because he don't have as nice of stuff as everybody else does. This guy gets to go to school with everything he needs. And look what he's got. He's got another bin. That's actually more than he needs. So God bless that kid through your generosity. Here's some more. These kids were, this is one of the ministries we do out at Chatham Apartments. These kids are, are, are coloring and learning lessons about Jesus. And th- these kids are loving time that we're spending out there with them. This is part of the giving that we have at our church, the generosity. And these people are, 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 are what drives us because we're seeing God come alive in these people. And we're seeing Jesus being tangibly seen by these people. That's the heart behind what we do. This, these are just some of the joys that we give to. It's just some of the heart behind it because many people in the church, what they're going to do is they're going to use guilt trips or or greed of the prosperity gospel to get people to give. But we want to turn to something different. We want to turn to grace. We want to turn to grace in that because my question now is, where would we be without Jesus' generosity? The same place thousands of people in the world and our community are right now around the world without our generosity. Because it wouldn't matter if Jesus died 10,000 times over and over and over again if nobody ever heard it, if nobody ever got reached for it. And so the last question we have is what legacy are we going to leave the next generation? What legacy are we going to leave the next generation for this church, for this body? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, So remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so this morning, we're not going to do a last song. Um, we're going to just go through some, some things really quick. But I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know him? He, 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 did not, he did not spare any expense in coming to your rescue. He did not spare any expense in coming to, to give you new life and to be born again. He, he did not spare anything to come after you. And you may be in a place this morning where you don't know Christ. You may be far from Christ, but you need to know him. Um, we're going we're gonna to play some music here in a second, and um, at, at we're going to be dismissed. But if that's you this morning, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you say, hey, I know, I know who he is, but I don't know him. I know who he is, but I don't know exactly the, the gospel. I don't, I've never actually received the gospel in a way that, that, I, that, that I feel like that I need to. Jesus said that we, anybody who comes to him, he'll give new life. If we come and surrender ourselves to him, he will give us new life in him, in him. And the sacrifice that he gave will be sufficient to save our souls. And our hearts today is that you wouldn't walk out of here without making that, that commitment, that, that, that decision. The last two weeks, we've had people go from death to life in Christ, and it's been a celebration. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to give you that opportunity. And so um, I'm going to be standing over here. We have some people that are praying, um, be, be able to pray with you. Um, if you want to leave, you can be you can um, be dismissed. But if you want to stay and pray, we're going to be here for a few more minutes. And if you want to, to receive Christ, I would love to pray with you. These guys would love to pray with you, and we'll do that together. So let me pray for us, and then you guys can be dismissed, or you can stay and sit and soak, however you want to do it. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I praise you for being a God that did not spare an expense in, in um, saving my soul and saving our and making a way for us, Father. I pray this morning that whoever's in this room, Father, that's far from you, that you would draw them close, draw them near. Lord, I pray that you would just um, bring life into this place. Lord, I pray for the person that thinks they're too far gone or have sinned too much or have walked away too far, God, that you would just bring them back right now in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. I praise you. God, everything that happens in this body is to bring you glory. And so we praise you for that.
we have is to do this now. Amen.